welcome to the Imaginal Roots Podcast, where we explore the transformational possibilities and potential that lie within everyone and everything. Through inspiring conversation, we will discover our community roots, our shared connections, and imagine transformative new stories into being. Today, I'd like to welcome Rachel Oressa to our show. I met Rachel, I think, three or four years ago at the Wapaka Farm Market. Was really interested to get to know more about her farming practices and, and, and what she does. I watched the movie Kiss the Ground and I was really wondering who was doing regenerative agriculture in the Wapaka area. And, and I kind of figured that Rachel probably was, but I didn't really know how to talk about it. And, and I reached out to her a few months ago and I said, what's going on with regenerative agriculture in the Wapaka area? And she said, well, there's actually a lot, but it's, it's mostly the farmer to farmer that are talking to each other and, and uh, the, the programs that she does with Grassworks and, and a program that she does with Golden Sands. And we'll talk about that a little later as we get into this conversation. But I felt like I really didn't know what was going on. So um, I said, hey, let's talk about it and let's see if we can make a podcast and see if we can figure out a way to help people that maybe don't know what's going on in, in the re- world of regenerative agriculture to know a little bit more about what is actually happening locally. Uh, this is part of uh, uh, this Common Roots Rising project. Uh, she's actually um, part of the inspiration and instigation for me to want to take a, a bigger stand and get involved more locally in our community. Rachel Barissa has Barissa Family Farm. She's just east of Opaca in the town of Royalton. I want to welcome you to the show, Rachel. Well, thank you very much for having me, Mark. Um, this has really been a fun progress and project, and um, yeah, I'm really excited to kind of keep these conversations going. Awesome. So can you tell me, where did you grow up? Um, so I am a fifth generation uh, farmer here in uh, rural Wapaka County. I was born in the same farmhouse as my grandfather on the other side of Royalton. Um, Eater was my maiden name, and I was born on Eater Road. Um, and when I was in first grade, my dad moved off to the, off, off of the home farm to the farm we're at now. Um, my parents were dairy farmers and still are dairy farmers. Um, so Farming has just kind of always been part of my life. Um, I never anticipated being a farmer myself. Um, I graduated high school and then moved down to Madison, um, where I lived for a number of years. I did end up going to school as an agronomy undergrad major um, with a certificate in environmental studies, and then went on to uh, agroecology master's program there. Um, after being in school for a while in research, I did my research was on um, different weed communities um, and different cropping systems. But in to- 2012, the dairy barn burned down on my home farm, um, which was kind of the catalyst to get me to move back. I knew I was never going to be a dairy farmer, but 
here was this beautiful property that I was still so connected to. Um, and uh, there was 15 acres that hadn't been uh, leased out to a neighboring farmer. Um, and so I had 15 acres and grass-fed beef was something that I was really uh passionate about and interested in. Um, you know, you kind of just continually hear about the environmental benefits and well as the health benefits of grass-fed meat. Um, so I decided, if nothing else, I will move back and be my own source and um, kind of looked at it as, um, you know, providing a service to others, um, you know, for my friends in Madison that didn't have the opportunity to farm themselves. And I was kind of sick of sitting at the computer and I just wanted to be able to work. <laughs> yeah. And now, now we're on the computer all the time anyway, but, um, we still get to go outside. I, I, I know that, um, your windows there look out over your pastures and some, sometimes you can see your cows when they come, come around, I guess, or at least, or, or maybe when they get out. Yeah, they, they have uh, been a distraction in a few different meetings. <laughs> Um, and my neighbors all appreciate it too. And you know, watching animals and seeing animals on the land is is really re rewarding. So obviously, far farming is obviously in your blood. Um, so what does family farming mean to you? Um, with that, I guess my my thing was always you know my dad had so many amazing you know, kind of quotes that have just stuck with me. And one of them was, you know, farming's not a job. It's what you do. It's who you are. Um, so it's just, I don't know, it's just a way of life. It's a connection to the land. Um, you know, just taking pride in what you do in the serve. I, I guess I always think that that's what I'm good at. And it makes me appreciate everyone else in the community um, for what they're good at. You know, we need everyone. And so I do this and I do this well and happily. And so, um, yeah, it's a connection to each other. If we can drift back a little bit to your childhood, looking across the landscape of your childhood and your growing up years, when do you remember a touching moment of deep connection and your growing relationship with nature? Just always being outside, um, in all conditions. Um, you know, you just, I guess I'd say it wasn't as much growing up. I don't because I just didn't, you know, when you're a kid, it's just your world that you live in. Um, but maybe it's that work ethic that I remember more than the connection to the land as a kid. Now it's, I mean, yeah, now my connection to the land is, you know, going out and making constant observations and seeing, you know, seeing how. I don't know, my management affects the land and hearing the birds. And um, I have a very much a biology brings biology mantra um, with my agricultural practices and diversity being so crucial to that. And I guess as a farmer, you know, being a pasture-based farmer, I'm very much boots on the ground. I'm kind of always walking through the fields. I look at other kind of agricultural practices and systems. Um, you know, I think the bigger tractor you drive, the more disconnected you are from the land. Um, so you're not working with the land as much as you're kind of managing it for what you want is more so than what it 
has to offer. Can you take us take us into one or, or a few of your like observations? Like what what is happening? Yeah, that you know, I am very strongly connected to you know that that roots idea. Um, so having a lot of soil cover or keeping the soil covered, um, I feel like it's really grounding. Um, again, kind of with the roots in my my community as well um, and my neighbors. Yeah, it's it's a system. You know, you need all all the parts. So, how would you know that your soil is working for you? And you and 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 what do you look for in the in these roots? Like when you go out there and observe, what are you seeing? What are you looking for? Self, well, I I want the grass to be growing <laughs> a lot, and so a lot of it, you know, innocent agricultural producer is kind of still based on that yield. Um, but I would like to see when I look down again, that diversity. So a lot of different grasses, a lot of different, what may be called weeds are also known as forbs. Um, so broad leaves and the clovers and legumes, um, you know, I'm looking for as much diversity in each, you know, each time I look down, I want to see a lot of different stuff down there. Um, no bare ground, um, leaving enough residual as is, and allowing enough rest um, is kind of my keys for my management. You you mentioned a lot of different um, legumes. What what is the other words you used? Forbs. So in um, yeah, the three primary components of a pasture system. What are forbs? Forbs are weeds. Those would be um, like plantain. Uh, what else would be dandelions? Um, what a chicory? Uh, those kind of non legumes are ones that fix nitrogen. Would be your clovers and alfalfa and trefoil. Um, Forbs, all the other stuff. Um, you know, even burdock. Um, all those things that in conventional systems they don't like to see, but cows eat them, and they're a really good source of kind of other minerals and nutrition for my livestock so in a in like a, a pasture uh in a grazing operation like you have you want as much of that variety as possible um why is that important well all the different plants kind of have different rooting structures um and they all kind of bring up different nutrients from further in the ground um you know they all kind of benefit from having each other there <laughs> Just always think so much of yeah my pastures and again like our communities it's a plant community. There there is a word I don't have it in front of me right now but that you use that starts with a G that's soil glue. I love glomalin. <laughs> what is glomalin? Glomalin is the glue that so holds the soil together. It's um, root exudates um, that yeah the root exudates the what the roots kind of give off to feed each other um it's really really fascinating yeah i hadn't heard of it until you mentioned that the, the movie kiss the ground which wasn't brand new to me but it, it kind of set me in a course of saying I'm out here learning everything I'm learning from the internet, and originally it was from books and things. And I think that's why I decided to reach out to Rachel, because after I watched Kiss the Ground, I was really wondering who was practicing regenerative agriculture. 
And can you share a little bit about what that actually is? What 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 is called regenerative agriculture, and what is that practice? Sure. Um, well, regenerative agriculture kind of is the one step up from sustainable. Um, so, kind of in a lot of conversations, sustainability in a way has gone by the wayside because what we're doing, we just can't sustain where we're at. Um, you know, we've especially from a carbon standpoint, we've gone way too far the other way. Um, so regenerative agriculture is building soil. Um, it's kind of the one step up. Um, so sequestering carbon is probably the primary motivation and focus of regenerative agriculture. Um, so it's from a conventional standpoint, you know, no tillage and keeping the ground always constant cover. Um, and then diversity are kind of the primary tenants, I believe, of regenerative agriculture. I mean, you're practicing regenerative agriculture. I guess there's multiple ways to to um, talk about um, this. I know on your website you mentioned you manage the land in a holistic manner without synthetic fertilizers or pesticides, believing that healthy soil leads to healthy feed for the animals. Can you just expand on that a little bit? Yeah. Um, well, I guess my you know the way I manage is you know, I'm mimicking natural ecosystems. Um, we can use the soil as a tool. Um, you know, things grew really well before we in the invent or before synthetic fertilizers came along. Um, you know, the soil is healthy. Soil is fully capable of cy cycling nutrients on its own. Um, so if you've got healthy soil and a healthy system, um, there's really no need for inputs. Um, you know, and the animals are getting all of those micronutrients from all of the diversity in the plants. Um, yeah, so it's, I, I kind of joke that <laughs> I try to be the lazy farmer because I let, you know, I let the soil do all the work for me. Um, and yeah, with that, you know, soil health, uh, recently there's been just a lot of that connection between soil health and human health. Um, so you know, if you've got healthy soils, you've got healthy plants that are nutrient dense, um, and then healthy animals, and you know, you are what you eat, and it all comes down to the soil. Um, there was a in a recent um, conversation I was in a presentation. It was, um, and this is in there's a author uh, Fred Provenza that's got a book called Nourishment, and it kind of explains how our food is 30% less nutrient dense than 25 years ago. Um, so I just, yeah, kind of always come back to, yeah, healthy soils and healthy people. Um, so I think, yeah, starting from the ground up, but it's important for all of us. Connecting in um, food to, or in what we eat to where it's come comes from and how it's grown is incredibly important. And I mean, there seems to be a, too much of a disconnect with with that um you know why does that why has that happened um it's a lot easier to buy food from the store than it is to raise it on your own um and a lot of our systems and have just kind of driven us towards that direction um i would like to see a kind of a and i think there is you know because we're having this conversation shows that i think people want to be connected once again to their food systems yeah, I mean, I I am definitely interested in 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 that, and and um, you know, 
taking care you know what we eat is so important to our to our health and wellness and you know and how we take care of ourselves and taking care of of the land is i mean it should be obvious <laughs> and i guess i want to make it be more obvious with as part of this initiative and part of talking with you and part of the, uh, the project that we're working on with uh, Common Roots Rising is a, a big aspect of growing our community awareness of where our food is coming from and who is growing that or, or managing that for us and making that as local as possible is something that I feel is super important and that's why I'm really happy to find you to be able to talk about this because I can actually take this it, not in so much a you know somebody in a distance but somebody that you know is in our local community that ha has awareness and is an advocate for um, regenerative agriculture and healthy food so so can you tell me what you went to college for a little bit and explain you know why you went to school for what you did Sure. Um, well, I guess I, originally when I first was going to go to school, I thought I was going to go into education. Um, but then I realized I went, my parents are dairy farmers in Australia now. And I took a semester off and I went and lived on their farm in Australia for six months. And when I came back is when I switched to agronomy because I realized, and I have a lot Two of my brothers are teachers, and um, a lot of my friends are all teachers. But I realized if you're really good at what you do, you're in the same room for 30 years. And I realized mm -hmm. that, um, you know, I wanted to be able to work outside. Um, and, yeah. and then, uh, so that was kind of the driver towards the agronomy degree. But agronomy is a lot more crop production. Um, and, you know, I, I was felt like I needed to kind of, counter that with the environmental science background. Um, but really, it was my master's degree in the agroecology program that I think has done the most to shape my views and direction and place in this world. Um, the agroecology master's program was a cohort-based um, group or program. So there was 14 in my cohort, and we were in all of the different um, kind of departments at the university. And so the, the other side of it was um, a lot of rural sociology um, as the key component. One of the chairs of that program um, is a rural sociologist. Um, so through that lens, I learned a lot more about kind of um, just rural communities and how agriculture impacts rural communities um, and culture and aesthetics and kind of those other values of agriculture that just aren't really addressed in through the production lens um, and then learning about kind of more of the farm bill and how government programs impact agriculture um, it was I mean it in hindsight really did provide me with a lot of context moving forward and yeah and then when I moved back up here was when I kind of had left that that bubble and so for a long time when I was first back here I felt surrounded by just conventional farmers and I really kind of missed having that fuller view um, which is kind of then when I found Farmers Union um, really you know it, it was what I needed um, 
and the conversations I had missed having, I was once again able to have again. So what, what drew, drew you to studying um, rural ecology and, and then rural sociology, actually? Because I, I mean, most pe I don't know how many people realize that rural sociology is part of rural ecology. Yeah, I think that's because of my farm background and still my connection to, you know, my rural roots and just, you know, I, I appreciate so much that is rural communities. I think the culture is just so fun and amazing. And I used to lament my thick Wisconsin accent and now I take great pride in it. Um, so yeah, it's just, you know, you kind of, you can't have one without the other and seeing right. just how these things impact my neighbors. Right. And I, I don't know, I look at my neighbors as family. Uh, we all need each other. <laughs> right. Totally. I, I didn't really realize I had an accent until I, I moved out. We were, we lived in Hawaii for a few years and, and people would say, are you from Canada? We've been back in, in the area. I grew up um, actually in Hortonville, uh, not far from New London and Royalton, and grew and spent most of my uh, young life uh, on Bear Lake, which is not far from you at all. I, at least for me, you know, I, have, I, I realize a deep grounded appreciation to the life that we grew up in. At least that's how I feel. How, what do you, is that how, it sounds like that's kind of how you feel too. Because I don't, yeah, I don't feel like unless you grow up in it, you can kind of really appreciate it. I don't, it just makes you kind of who you are or that helpfulness. I was recently driving um, through the northern part of the state and wasn't 100% sure that my, my car was in a great position. But all of a sudden I realized I was surrounded by farmers. And if I broke down, there's going to be someone right there that is willing to drop everything and help me and would have the knowledge and know how to fix anything. And it was just really reassuring. And I had just realized that I'm not sure that people kind of appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, that's kind of an unknown thing. And, and I mean, this world, like when you come from that, and you can say, oh, that's available to me as opposed to, well, this might be scary and I can't trust anybody to possibly help me. And, and I, I, I mean, that's, that's a beautiful realization. And then I can find allies in the farming community who are starting to move in this direction. And then maybe we can connect something else together with people that are, you know, coming out and enjoying, you know, the rural countryside and the, the people that are into helping the bees and the pollinators and, and, and the wildlife. And I don't know how much those worlds, you know, cross over and, and uh, interact with each other, but it doesn't feel like they do a lot. Yeah, so there's, yeah, like, like we said, there's a, probably a million other kind of caveats to, you know, the agricultural system and um, our food systems in general. What does ecology mean to you, in, especially in the context of rural ecology? Because that's what you have your master's degree in, is that correct? It, well, agroecology was my right. master's. Agroecology. Okay, well, what does 
ecology mean in the context of agroecology for you? Um, again, I guess I keep kind of coming back to that diversity um, and natural you know, ecosystems and ecosystem functioning. Um, and so it's, you know, water, a lot of it's, you know, water systems and water fil infiltration. Um, but yeah, just having a healthy ecosystem where there's a place for everything um, and everything is working as it should be. Yeah. And well, and that's with grazing is that's, you know, that was what the land cover was. And, you know, grazing as management on the land is, you know, is a valuable tool because if you have grazed pastures are probably, and I, I do these buffer strips, which are kind of fun, these diversity buffer strips, but it's creating habitat for birds and it's creating habitat for insects. It's creating habitat for, you know, all the, all the critters. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, so if you look in kind of a fallow field that's overgrown, um, you know, that's just kind of, that's, it's not the best system, um, because it's normally, you know, it's normal to have been grazed by animals. Um, you know, even along stream banks, they've shown where by grazing, it increases the root structure, um, you know, of those plants. So even along streams, if you, go through with animals and graze, you know, just once, you know, it's, it's very much management, um, not overgrazing. Um, but that they've shown, you know, along like trout streams and such that, you know, by having the animals go through there and, uh, you know, creates a healthier community along there and improves the water quality. You're not kind of doing, you're not doing the, the, I guess the, plant and animal community are serviced um, by not, not having that. Last week, I guess, I saw you shared a excerpt from The Gift of Good Land by Wendell Berry, and, and it was very long. I remember you said, I care about this so that much that I took the time to type this. Can you share a little bit about what the excerpt of A Gift of Good Land by Wendell Berry meant to you and why you did that? Um, I guess, yeah, it's kind of that rural um, rural kind of communities. Are, um, right now there's just kind of a real backlog of uh, processors. And so, um, you know, for any new farmers getting started, they don't have any access to dates. But it was more kind of this government regulations that, you know, for dairy farmers um, and for uh, small meat processors, different government regulations have made things so much harder for small producers and small farmers. Um, it's made it so that you need all these big equipments and you need to make these standards so high that smaller producers just can't get into the system. Um, and so, you know, it's basically made these rules for the sake of public health and public safety in the food systems, but in exchange and to its detriment um, has led to kind of these bigger outbreaks of E. coli or, um, you know, it's just kind of really made it so the big guys are getting bigger and the smaller farmers um, are not able to um, compete in that market and therefore 
us as consumers are getting further and further disconnected through, from our food systems and our food. And that's with vegetables and as well as uh, meat production and dairy. Um, so it's throughout the whole food in- industry. Yeah, thank you. So one of the, the the last pieces that you typed, and I copied that, by the way, and put it on our new website, it says only small farmers can keep the so-called marginal land in production for only they can give intensive care, the intensive care necessary to keep it productive. Is that true? Yeah, that's kind of one of my favorite ideas or lines. Um, you know, this idea of who's the farmer. Um, I was at a Greenlands Blue Waters conference last November, and there was a presenter there that said, we need farmers to care for the land. We need farmers to care for us. Um, and at that time, I was thinking about a lot of my family's land that's um, rented by a large CAFO, and I see their agricultural practices versus mine. So when there's a large rain event, I get to see you know, one side of the road versus the other side and how the water infiltrates. But I kept thinking in these big agricultural systems and farms, who is the farmer? Is it the absentee landowner? Is it the owners of these large operations? Is it their agronomists? Is it the custom guys? And realize that there's no there's no incentive and in none of their job descriptions is it to care for the land. Um, you know, if you have a smaller farm and that's again, kind of coming back to that boots on the ground where you don't have this big equipment. Um, and if it's family land or you don't have as much of it, you didn't need to make sure that you care for it. And you, those systems are working for you. Um, I feel like a lot of our agricultural land in the state and in the country is treated like a Blake, blank slate, um, you know, just put in what you want and take what you can get out. Um, but if you care about that land and you care about what you're doing, um, it's just a totally different viewpoint and management. And yeah, if you can, you know, at smaller scale, care more. <laughs> I grew up with a piece of uh, recreation land, and that I, when I was younger, we primarily used it for for hunting between Manawa and Ogdensburg, and it was our family's, my father's uncle's farm that we bought when I was four years old, and I remember um, all these small fence rows, you know, maybe, you know. 10-acre fields with a fence and another 10-acre field with a fence. And and when I, we were, I think I was 10 or 12 or 14, somewhere in there, my father, so my father had been leasing the farmland out to the neighbor farmer, and, and he, was, he was more of an old-school farmer with smaller equipment. And um, my, my dad had the opportunity to find another person to lease the land, and get some more money because, I mean, he, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. So there was, it was just, okay, well, how can we pay for our land and pay for the taxes a little bit more? That, that was our recreation land. And we had about 30, or 40, 30 acres of woods and we used it for hunting. But these, um, so when he found this other farmer with this bigger equipment, of course, I, you know, and I'm like 12 or 14 and um, my dad is all excited. Yeah, he's going to take out all the fence rows. And he's going to open all this stuff up. 
and and then he'll be able to get all over the place and plant his corn and whatever else he wants to do and and um i was like eh, you know i'm i'm using i my experience with this land isn't so much from an agriculture standpoint it's from a you know taking you know just having all these interesting things here so the next year we proceed through we had a middle lane that we would drive to the back our woods was in the back and we had a pond and 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 we'd use that especially in the fall but you know all through the year and um there was all this erosion happening because of these um, the fence lines that got taken out, and you know the the little character and things that were along these fence lines for the for the wildlife and the things that I used to you know explore when I was younger, and, and I understand why he did it, and I understand that you know he needed to make more money, but I felt sad for the land, and and I felt you know so. Here I am helping my dad two years later fix all of the ruts and the potholes in the lane that we would go back, which we didn't have to fix before because there was a place for this runoff to happen. And I remember when I first started talking to, well, you, but then um, the, uh, I can't think of what the agricultural organization, but when we first moved to our, we have 18 acres here, and I started looking at, well, what can I do to take care of it? Well, I find uh, there's uh, money available to encourage people to put shelter belts and, and like fence lines back in, and I'm like, oh, well, we used to have that. This was in the middle, middle 70s, and this book, Wendell Berry's book, was published in 1977. In, in my world, that's I grew up with this, you know, small farm situation. Yeah, that's so sad. I know I, my heart was breaking thinking about, yeah, the soil erosion. And yeah, I see, you know, you see that soil erosion and I feel like it scars on the land um, and it shouldn't be happening. The reason I had those 15 acres was because a lot of them were these three to four acre fields that the K, the CAFO didn't want because they couldn't get their equipment in. Um, and they're triangle-shaped fields, and one's a, like an arrowhead. But from my management, you know, that doesn't really matter. Um, and I recently just took another 60 acres back um, just last week, so I'm really excited about that. And it's wetter soil that was not good for their equipment. You know, it was it's heavily eroded, um, and the compaction issues from bringing in this heavy equipment and, yeah, just beating the, the soil to nothing. <laughs> and and it's, not, it's not really even their fault, per se, because they're trying to keep up with a system that is asking them to do it that way. Yeah, and I was, and I've kind of, Encourage people to switch from, um, you know, it shouldn't be, and this is, you know, kind of farmer talk, but, you know, rather than yield per acre, you know, profitability per acre, or, you know, because those systems are not, there's a lot of flaws in them. And then, yeah, yeah and then if and you want to get into drinking water and nitrates in our drinking water, too, and what an issue that is from excessive use of fertilizer and erosion and runoff um that's a whole nother um, part to it whole whole nother another big topic so i i i did i really appreciated that you took the time to share the gift of good land i i am not a 
Uh, I've heard of Wendell Berry, but I'm I'm just learning more about him and and his experience. I come from more of a conservation background. I actually went. I don't know if you know this, but I started college for fisheries management. I wanted to be. I grew up on Bear Lake fishing all the time, and I loved it so much that I thought, well, maybe I can do that for a job. And um, but I was talked out of it in my second year in college because you're not going to make enough money go into business, something that's more flexible. And and I'm happy that I did that. I had businesses, but I also sometimes wish that I would have found a way to maybe, you know, find my way to work in, in conservation. So I feel like in some ways, now that I'm kind of in another stage of my life, it's, it's kind of an opportunity to give back and connect into with some of this conservation and some of our other friends who I'm also talking about from a, a, a resource conservation and agricultural stand, con, conservation standpoint. Um, I, I, I'm, I guess my background and my, my interest is coming from, you know, caring for uh, the land and our and our and our relationship with the land and our connection with that and and it's, I appreciate having the opportunity to have somebody in our area that cares about that from an agricultural standpoint and you know wants to do better. Mark Gerke is a podcast from Common Roots Rising. Through engaging conversations with creative leaders, we're exploring our community roots and connections as we imagine transformative new stories and culture into being.